Oh, for grace to trust Him more, right? It's an amazing thing. Turn with me, if you would, this evening to Acts chapter 5. It's my honor again to stand before you and to open up God's Word. Acts chapter 5. Always good for a laugh, you guys. Appreciate it. Acts chapter 5 this evening and verse number 17. And I'm going to read uh, quite a bit of scripture here. We're going to read through the end of the book. Acts chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly we found shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within." Now, when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked, saying, Asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on the tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of those things, of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then stood there up one in the council of a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of law, who had a reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up uh, Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. And after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, for if this counsel or this work be of man, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach, teach and preach Jesus Christ. At the beginning of this chapter, uh, the portion that we did not read, I'll surmise it here, we see that it opens up with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And we see there how Ananias and Sapphira um, 
went together and, and decided they agreed upon deceiving the Peter, the apostles, and ultimately deceiving the Lord, that they would sell a parcel of land for a set amount, and that they would tell them we sold it for a different amount. And then after this story, we see that um, obviously they both wind up in the ground the same day. The Bible is very clear about that. And then just a short while later, we see after their death that the Bible says that the, the church was under fear after these things. After this happened, that the, the church of God came under fear. And rightly so. They saw the punishment of what would happen to a deceitful heart. And from this fear spawned a, a bit of a revival. The next verses go into detail to explain how the apostles were just on fire for the Lord. The, the apostles, they, they went about and people were bringing the sick and the lame and the, 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 the ill and, and setting them out by the road just hoping that the shadow of one of the apostles would cast upon these people and heal them. And then we continue to see as the apostles uh, preach and teach that many, the, the Bible says that multitudes of men and women were added to the church. And so we continue to see a revival as a result of some sin that had happened. And then we get to this point here. Think about it with me if you would. The apostles are on a high. They're really reaching out. They're seeing results. The people are flocking to hear them. The lame are being uh, healed. The, the ones with devils had, the devils are being cast out. And then cue the fiery darts of the enemy. And we see that via the high priest and the sect of the Sadducees, the apostles are imprisoned. The apostles, because of the, the progress that they were making, because of how the gospel was spreading, because, like it would say in a couple chapters later here in Acts of Paul, how he and them turned the world upside down, the apostles were beginning that on their own here. And when the priests saw that, they, they began, to, as the Bible says, be filled with indignation. Hatred, wrath against the apostles because of the work that they were doing. So they tried to stop the apostles. And what I want to challenge us this evening is some lessons that we can learn from the imprisoned apostles. Some lessons that we can learn or observations from the imprisoned apostles. That summation brings us up to verse number 18 where we started reading. And it brings me to my first point as well. If you look back in verse number 18, and I'm going to read again verses 18 through 21, it says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. The first observation I see from the apostles here. And what I want to challenge us with this evening is Jesus Christ has set you free, so don't waste time. Jesus Christ has set you free, so don't waste time. We see here the apostles were imprisoned. Immediately that evening, the angel of the Lord appears to them in the, in the night, it says, and gives them a, tra a charge. He says, go and preach all the things of this life. And he lets them go. So the, angel, the, the, the apostles were given two things that evening by the Lord. They were given freedom from a prison... And they were given a charge, go speak all the words of this life. And the Bible makes it very clear here that they wasted no time. It says early 
The next morning, they were in the temple again. The very place they had just been caught from the day before and imprisoned because of what they were doing again, preaching and teaching in the name of Christ. Jesus Christ has set you free, so don't waste time. We see here that the, the, the apostles were imprisoned, then set free, and they immediately went about the charge they had been given. Now, I'm sure that their release from prison was a bit of a rejuvenation, a relief to be, to be set free from that place. And so I'm sure that gave them a bit of encouragement to get back to what they had to do. It may be renewed and, and even grew their faith in the Lord that, that promises to us that He'll never lead us or forsake us. And yes, they were given pr- freedom from a prison, from, the Bible says here, a, 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 the common prison, a place of filth and disease and discomfort, a place where the drunkards and the debtors and uh, th- those type of folks were put, a dirty place. They were given freedom from that place, but it was just a physical prison. The truth is that even in prison, they were free men. Maybe not free as far as being in a confined space, but they had been free of their bondage of sin. The same way that you and I are free in Christ this evening. For those of you who have accepted Christ your Savior, and so the challenge, Jesus Christ has set you free, so don't waste time. We have a short time that we have here on this earth. We have been set free from our bondage of sin. Like the apostles, that bondage of sin is a place of filth and discomfort. But there's many around us who have not been set free from that bondage. And so comes our responsibility as Christians to share the gospel. So don't waste time. And the apostles immediately the next morning after they were released went out and began to teach and preach the things of this life. Man cannot hold back the freedom that we have as Christians. The freedom that is found through salvation in Jesus Christ. The peace and the joy that passes all understanding. If men could confine it, it would have been consumed by the lions in the great Colosseums of Rome. If men could confine it, it would have been torn limb from limb on the torture racks during the Reformation. If it could have been confined, it would have died of starvation living in the catacombs of ancient Greece. You see, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ cannot be confined. If it could have been confined, it would have bled out on the cross of Calvary. It would have been buried in a tomb, never to be heard of again. But the grave could not hold it. Death could not contain it. And so, we are free in Christ. So don't waste time. The responsibility that we have Herod could not incarcerate the freedom that John the Baptist had, even though he would behead him. Herod was the slave. Herod was the prisoner. Nero, when it came time for Paul to say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, and to be outcast and tortured, it was not Paul who was enslaved or put in bondage. It was Nero who was the, the imprisoned one. King James could not imprison the humble, the humble tinker John Bunyan. Have you ever heard about John Bunyan? Read, read any biographies about him? A great man of God who stirred up great things through his preaching. And he could not be contained in the cell 
From the cell came great books such as Pilgrim's Progress. See, our freedom in Christ cannot be contained by this world. We should not be suppressed by the world. What we have been given and what we have received of Jesus Christ deserves to be shared and should be shared. And we have a responsibility to share. But when we allow our pride and our self and our flesh to hold us back, we cage Jesus Christ. The world can't do it to us, but we can do it to Him. Jesus Christ has set it free, so don't waste time. Reminds me of a story of a lady named Madame Guyon. She was, back in the days of the Reformation, Martin Luther's time, around the same time when the idea was presented against the Catholic Church that salvation is by faith and grace, not of works. This lady stood up against the Catholic Church. And because of her stand, she was imprisoned. And in prison, she penned these words, Stone walls do not, make, do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. Mine's innocent and quite take these for a hermitage. When I am free within my heart and in my soul I'm free, Angels alone that soar above enjoy such liberty. She was saying, even though I'm imprisoned in a wall, what I have cannot be caged. And what I have to share is the amazing gift of Jesus Christ. That God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross for me. That He lived His life. That He endured torture like no other man had endured with the whipping the cat of nine tails. As his flesh was torn from his body, no anger spilled out of his mouth. As he was stretched out on a cross, and nails were pierced through his hands and his feet, and a spear eventually through his side, still just love. And as he was buried in a tomb, and three days later rose again, we have the gift of salvation. Jesus Christ has set us free, so don't waste time. Freedom should change our perspective on life. Just as a freed man from prison will have a new enjoyment of simple pleasures, a new outlook on how things go, we also, as free Christians, should have a different perspective about life. Our life should not be consumed with self or entertainment or pleasures. Our life should be consumed with a a desire to serve the Lord with everything that we've got. We should have a different perspective. The things that the world find as the sole purpose and enjoyment in life should not be the things that we find as our sole purpose and enjoyment in life. There should be a different perspective, a different outlook. Our new perspective should be as what Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. We need to take the time that we have seriously here on earth And share the gospel with those that are around us that are still in bondage. See, whether they live in the home of the free and the land of the brave or not, they're not free truly until they've accepted Christ as their Savior. And so again, I encourage you, Jesus Christ has set us free, so don't waste time. The second thing that we'll see here, observations that we can learn from the apostles, is found in verse number 29. It says then, Peter... And the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. 
The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. The second thing that I want to challenge you with this evening is the Holy Ghost has indwelt you, so obey God rather than man. The Holy Ghost has indwelt you, so obey God rather than man. The apostles were commanded by the high priest, do not preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. And immediately after they were released by the angel, they went back to the temple and began to preach and teach in the same name. They were brought back and the the high priest said, why? Why are you continuing to preach and teach in this name? I mean, you were just imprisoned yesterday for this. You can imagine the, the consternation that these high priests had. Why would you come back to the same town just a couple streets away where we all are high priests and continue to teach? And they, they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance of sin and forgiveness of sins. We ought to obey God rather than man. We see here that they said we must be a witness. In verse number 32, you see that it says that the Holy Ghost bears witness with them. We have been given the Holy Ghost of God to be a witness through our lives. He is alive in our souls. Can you imagine with what passion the, the, the apostles stood before the high priest and, and said verses 31 and 32? Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses of these things. And so also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey Him. He said, you can tell us all you want that to stop preaching. But we've been given something by God that cannot be contained. We can't hold back. And whether you tell us to or not, we are going to preach the gospel. I can imagine in my mind with such clarity and and, and firmness these apostles standing before the high priest and just declaring, we ought to obey God rather than man. It doesn't matter what you tell me. I'm going to do what the Word of God tells us to do. They knew what their cause was. They knew what the cost may be. They knew that there would be consequences involved. But they also knew what the command was. To share the gospel. Immediately when they were released from prison, the command was, go and teach the things of this life. And so, being set free, they went. We ought to obey God rather than man. The world today is so riddled with humanistic ideas and opinions. And a lot of times as Christian, we start to absorb people's opinions rather than the Word of God. And as Christians in these latter days, we'll be challenged more so than ever about what we do. They have their ideas about what life should be. But they don't understand about eternity. They don't understand about death and the hell and and heaven. They don't have that understanding. And so they have a different opinion about what and how we should live our lives. And so they're going to question it. They're going to ask you why you do things you do. When Joel Steen or, or religious leaders of today won't even publicly say that God would send somebody to hell, why be a witness? 
When society teaches us that we should live together before marriage and experience each other's love so that we know what we're getting, why have morals? When friends and family and even other Christians pressuring you because of music standards, dress standards, or entertainment guidelines, why have convictions? When other churches are bringing in rock bands and worldly music, when they're bringing in songs written by the world just sung in a different way, when they're taking the blood out of the Bible, removing doctrines such as repentance, and teaching the love of God who never send anybody to hell, why have separation? Why not just mix it all together? Why can't we just all hold hands? We're going to be questioned why. But we as Christians, the redeemed of the Lord, we've been given the Holy Ghost of God. We've been indwelt by the Holy Ghost. And so, we ought to obey God rather than man. We ought to know why we're doing the things we do. And so when we are questioned, we don't look and appear as fools. Following things aimlessly. Because then it's just picked apart and torn down. We ought to know why. I don't care who is telling you it or what they're telling you it. When it comes to spiritual things, things of the Word of God, don't believe it unless it's backed up by the Bible. We've got to know where we stand. And we've got to stand on it. We've got to stand on it. Obeying God rather than man. Eric Liddell, the son of a Scottish missionary, to China, had a, and a, he was a ministerial student. He was a, a very gifted athlete. Most of you have probably heard the name before. He was the best sprinter in the British Empire. He first gained his national recognition by winning the 100 and 200 meter races in the Amateur Athletic Association, Athletic Association Championships in 1923. In July of 1924, the young Scottish athlete was favored to win the 100 meter race in the Olympic Games in Paris. But a few weeks before the Olympics, he learned that the finals for the 100-meter event were scheduled for a Sunday afternoon. Eric had a religious conviction that it was wrong for him to play sports on Sunday. For the last few weeks before the games, he quietly excused himself after evening dinner from the usual bull sessions with his classmates, then returned home exhausted hours afterward. Weeks later, the whole world knew his secret. Eric had spent those evening hours practicing for a different event that was scheduled for a weekday and which required a different type of speed and endurance. On the closing day of the Olympics, he stood on the winner's platform and received the gold medal as the 400-meter champion. Liddell, who later became a missionary to China, he died as a missionary, um, or died in a, a prison camp during uh, the World War II, in a Japanese prison camp. You've, maybe if you've seen Chariots of Fire, that's that story is based on. Eric Liddell. He had a conviction. Simple one. I'm not going to play sports on Sunday. It's a day set apart for the Lord. I'm going to make sure I prioritize my time then. And he did. Changed his whole training. What he was known for doing. To work it around. God. And that's what we need to be doing as Christians. Instead of working God around us, 
around our opinions or our schedules or what we want to do. We need to work our schedules around God. This all falls underneath that obeying God rather than man. See, we have priorities in our life. We have things that we want to do. And if the Bible is telling us to do something else, well, we're just going to have to balance these things out. You know, a Christian has to be balanced. And yes, they do. And I said that with a little bit of sarcasm in my voice because a lot of time we use that as an excuse to be unbalanced in an area. The reason we've had such a dramatic digression in our churches in the last 10 to 15 years is because people are fond a lot more of an opinion these days than they do the Word of God. A lot more preachers are filling pulpits that are just giving their idea of what Christianity is. Their idea of what a, a Christian life should be. And yeah, we may have some mega churches, some mega ecumenical churches, but there's no solid foundation in the Word of God. There's no solid foundation in doctrine. It's just an opinion. And so our churches begin to fall apart. Churches are, the pulpits are filled with men who are just giving their opinions and their methods and their standards. And so, because people are following after the man instead of following after God, our own personal standards and our own personal methods and our own personal relationship with the Lord has begun to falter. But the Word of God is very clear that it alone should be our lamp. It should light our path. It should not be the opinions of man that tell us what direction to go. The opinions of man will constantly falter and constantly sway and change with the times. But the Word of God will endure for all time. It stays straight. It's a beacon of light. As we see in Proverbs 22, verse 28, that we're not to remove the ancient landmarks that have been set. The landmark was a, was a pillar that was established in biblical days. It was something that was laid out on the border of a property. So the people knew where the lines were. It marked land. So they knew that not to cross over this area, not to move this way. And he was using this as an illustration here, David, because in that time, one of the problems they'd have is a couple neighbors would get together, pick up a landmark, move it ten feet one direction. Gain a couple feet of property. These landmarks had been set up in ancient times by their forefathers, uh, outlining what their property lines would be. And so by using this as an illustration, he, he demonstrated to them how important it is that you keep things where they were so you know how they should be. And when we begin to move things by trusting men's opinions rather than God's, we've moved those ancient landmarks. And pretty soon, time will pass and we'll forget where it used to be. And then it'll be moved a little bit again. And we'll forget where it used to be. And it'll be moved a little bit again. And so we digress. So we get to where we are today in America. Because the ancient landmark has been moved over and over and over and over again. Instead of seeking after man's current opinions, we should look to the examples of the forefathers. We should look to the examples of the founders of the faith. They're a little more established. 
I get weary of some books that are newer books. You know, I like to see things that are established, things that I know that have worked, things that I can look back in history and see, you know, that's really something. The Lord really worked through that person. We ought to obey God rather than man. We have the Holy Ghost in us. With the Holy Ghost comes clarity of right and wrong when we're in the Word of God. When we're not, it's obscured with everything else. But I would challenge you this evening to obey God rather than man. Don't trust man's opinion. Don't trust man's leading. What he says should be or how he says your life should be. One thing I read in the news the other day, and it, you know, it was the Catholic Church actually. They kind of give him a pat on the back in a way. But um, you know, with the president's last push that all health care insurance carriers had to cover birth control and forms of abortion and things like that, and they're pushing out, they're pushing out, they're pushing against it. They have this big lawsuit against the government and the Obama administration that, you know, this is unconstitutional. You're, you're oppressing what our religious beliefs can, are. What we believe, that we are against abortion. And I give them a pat on the back because they are actually taking a stand against something that is immoral, that is against the Word of God. But I use it as an illustration for us to say, what are we standing against? What are we verbally standing against? We say, okay, yes, I'll obey God rather than man. Sign me up. But when it comes time to getting down to the nitty-gritty of it, are we going to make ourselves vocal about these things? Are we going to take a stand uh, out in the public and say, we're against this, this is wrong, this is against the Word of God, this is against my conscience? Or do we allow it just to slip by? Kind of ignoring. We can say we want to obey God rather than man all day long. But then we've got to put feet to our words. We're good talkers. Christians, I mean. A lot of times it's, it's all we do. We'll talk about a topic. We'll talk about an issue. We'll say, we need to stand against this, and this is wrong. It's against the Word of God. We see it clearly outlined here. Come on, Christians. We need to stand up for this. Let's go. And we're deflated by the time we've gotten out to the car. And I'm guilty of it myself. If we're all honest, we'd all say there's at some point where we've just not stood up the way that we should. Whether it's simple as, as, as simple as something as somebody taking God's name in vain and saying, hey, no, that's, that's wrong. The Bible says you're going to bring a curse upon yourself if you do that. Whether it's something that simple, or it is something like uh, immorality and, and, and the, the more relevant big topics of today. If we say it, we ought to do it. We've been empowered. We've been given the Holy Ghost. So we see here, the Holy Ghost has indwelt you, so obey God rather than man. And thirdly, and finally, if you look with me in verse number 41 and 42, 
It says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Thirdly, I'd like us to see that Christ has counted you worthy, so don't give up. Christ has counted you worthy, so don't give up. I can imagine the apostles in a brief second taking this whole situation and experience into thought, into their mind. After they were beaten by the the Pharisees and, and, and released with the command to not preach, I can imagine for a brief second maybe the thought crossed Peter's mind, hmm, what should I do? But then we see very clearly here that the Bible says they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. And they cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ. See, the apostles understood the value of what had been accomplished on the cross of Calvary. And it was not going to go to waste on their watch. They said, yeah, you can imprison me. Sure, go ahead and beat me. But as soon as I get out of here, I'm getting back to what I was commanded to do. I'm not going to give up the fight. I'm going to continue on. I believe that they could say with confidence, as the hymn writer penned, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I want to encourage us and exhort us this evening to don't give up the fight. Don't give up the fight. Times will be difficult. There will be difficulties that will come in every single one of our lives. Children will rebel. Satan will attack the relationship between you and your spouse. You'll be scorned. You'll be made fun of. You'll be made a mockery by the world. You will be attacked. We will be attacked. But don't give up. Don't give up. It is a daily battle. There are struggles that are constant and consistent in our lives. Maybe an area of a weakness that that Satan knows that we have and constantly is just tossing a dart that direction to keep us tested to see if we're going to fail. So don't give up. We've accepted Christ as your Savior. We have been counted worthy. We've received the gift of salvation. When a Christian throws in a towel, not only does it shame the name of Christ, but it leaves a horrible example for the next generation of Christians. Christ has counted you worthy, so don't give up. We have a difficult task before us, but keep on keeping on. You are being watched. Your footsteps will be followed, so keep on keeping on. The apostles set an ancient landmark for us. Have we moved it by not continuing steadfastly? Have we removed it by throwing in the towel? But not understanding the way that they understood that I've been counted worthy. And no matter what the suffering, no matter what the cost, no matter what the the penalty or the consequence, I will continue. I will cease not. 
Christ has counted us worthy, so don't give up. A moment ago, I used the phrase, I have decided to follow Jesus. I want to read this to you. It's uh, from what I saw looking up this song, the, the story, the history behind it. I enjoy reading the history of hymns, seeing what caused the person to pen the story that we read in a hymn. And you think about, um, you know, it is well with my soul. The story of a man who lost his family, lost everything in a train wreck. It is well with my soul. You think about those great things, but I have decided to follow Jesus. 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales, England. As a result of this, many missionaries came from England to Germany and Germany to Northeast India to spread the gospel. At the time, Northeast India was not divided into many states as it is today. The religion was known, known as Assam and comprised of hundreds of tribes. The tribal communities were quite primitive and aggressive by nature. The tribals were also called headhunters because of a social custom which required the male members of the community to collect as many heads as possible. As a man's strength and ability to protect his wife was assessed by the number of heads he had collected. Therefore, a youth of uh, marriageable age would try to collect as many heads as possible and hang them on the walls of his house. The more heads a man had, the more eligible he was considered. Into this hostile and aggressive community came a group of Welsh missionaries spreading the gospel and love and peace and hope of Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One Welsh missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife and two children. This man's faith proved to be contagious and many villagers began to accept Christ. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers and then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man composed this song. And he began to, to chant more than sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man sang these words in reply, Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. In a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man sang the final memorable lines. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man. He wondered why this man, his wife and two children, would die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago. 
There must be some supernatural power behind the family. And I, too, want that supernatural power. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Christ has counted you worthy. So don't give up. So don't give up. What's the difficulty? Everybody has one. We have our struggles. We have the things that we constantly war with. We have those areas that Satan knows he can just tear us down in or discourage us, even cause us to be disgruntled about an issue or with our preacher. But we have been counted worthy. We have been given the gift of salvation. We have accepted Christ as our saviors. We can't. We should not. We cannot quit. We've got to leave examples. We've got to leave landmarks for others to follow after. And if we, as Christians in this room this evening, will not be the ones to stand, will not be the ones to continue on, then who will be the ones to continue on? The Jehovah's Witnesses are not going to continue on. The Muslims are not going to continue on. Not after what the Bible teaches. They're going to continue on. A lot of times they're a lot more steadfast than we are. The Mormons... They'll continue. But we as independent, Bible-believing Baptists, ones that believe the Word of God the way that it's written, with nothing else added to it and nothing else taken away from it, we have been given a responsibility to continue on. Christ has counted you worthy, so don't give up. Three simple observations from the Apostles. Not anything new. I'm sure we've all read this passage a dozen times. Jesus Christ has set you free, so don't waste time. The Holy Ghost has indwelt you, so obey God rather than man. Christ has counted you worthy, so don't give up. We'd all stand this evening, if you would, with me. As the pianist heads to the instrument, the altar is open. I don't know if you know, no turning back, if you could play that for me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I can picture in my mind's eye this Indian man standing there. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. As his wife is slaughtered before his eyes. As his children are slaughtered before his eyes. No turning back. No turning back. wasting time that you have? Are things in the right priority? Jesus Christ has set you free, so don't waste time. Have you trusted in more of man's opinion or man's guidelines and man's ideas or ideals of what a life should be? 
prayer, if you decided, you know what, the Holy Ghost has indwelt me, I'm going to obey God rather than man. stellar example set out for us this evening by the apostles what to do in difficult times in our lives maybe you're in this room this evening and you've never accepted Christ as your savior what I said tonight really didn't have much meaning maybe to you except for the fact that there is freedom found in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here this evening and you say, you know what, if, if I were to die tonight, I do not know for sure that I would go to heaven. If that's you and you're in this room this evening, let us show you from the Word of God. There's gentlemen up here, there's ladies up here who can show you right from God's Word how you can know for sure that without a shadow of a doubt, if you were to die, you would go to heaven. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life.